26, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Father God, we come before you, submitting our hearts to your word. It's our desire to continue to worship. And I pray that you would receive the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts, that you would enable me to preach your word faithfully and to clearly. And Father, uh, may we rejoice in the incredible covenant provision of education that you have given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Ernie is a, uh, a father whose kids go to the government school. And since I've just met uh, this Christian, uh, he doesn't know yet that I'm a uh, homeschooler. But boy, is he frustrated. Why? What's wrong, Ernie? Oh, I went to parent-teacher conference last night, and I couldn't get absolutely anywhere with any of the teachers. They seem to be unmotivated totally about quality of education. They can't deal with the troublemakers. And they seem totally un unmotivated to change the system whatsoever. Well, you can hardly blame them the way the kids are nowadays. Oh, I know. The kids seem to have no respect for authority. One of the teachers was telling me that she wants to quit because of how unruly the children are. You should see the bad attitudes my children have picked up of those at school. Oh, that's too bad. What, what's your school district? I sent my children to Philistines District 2, like all the other Christian families in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> district 2, huh? Well, you know, my school district is actually pretty good. Uh, they've got very motivated teachers, and for the most part, the children seem to be well-behaved. In fact, uh, there was a study that was done said that the people in our school district are far better adjusted than any other school in the nation, uh, better self-esteem and everything else like that. And I have to admit, there's occasionally times where they lack respect for the teachers, but I think I'd give pretty good grades to the kids overall. Wow, that's impressive. Well, how does the academic side line up? I might move my children to your school district. Well, last year our school was ranked in the 95th percentile. Uh, I think my children's school has always insisted on better academic excellence and uh, great textbooks. Yeah, the textbooks have really gone downhill, haven't they? I think the school district needs to uh, be more receptive to parental input. Well, ours is. Our, ours is very receptive to parental input. In fact, one of the neat things about uh, the school that uh, we go to is every one of the teachers is a Christian and there's just no problems with praying, with applying the scriptures to all of the discipline. Yeah, right. Where do your children go? To some small school in the country? No, we homeschool. I can't believe you've been pulling my leg all this time. <laughs> but aren't you concerned about your children getting poor socialization skills? And what about academics? Aren't you afraid that your children will be totally unprepared for the world? Well, thanks, Kurt, for the helping out with the dialogue. The last three questions that uh, uh, Kurt uh, read there are just a tiny sampling of the kinds of questions that people have about homeschooling all of the time. And what I want to do today is I want to go through uh, some of those questions, and we're not going to even get through everything that's on the outline that 
uh, that you have there. But we're going to try to answer some of those questions. But I just thought I'd make a few observations. Isn't it amazing that Christians are willing to pay high taxes in order to allow pagans to teach their children in their, in their worldview? Uh, isn't it uh, amazing that while uh, we Christians spend so little time educating our kids on a consistent worldview, we insist that those pagans had better do a good job in thoroughly educating our children in a consistent pagan world and life view? Isn't it amazing that we'll many times put up with inferior education, larger teacher-student ratios, poorer preparation for life, we'll give up on parental control, and we'll do it all in the name of trying to serve our kids' best interests? I think there is a, a lot of confusion on the part of a lot of sincere uh, believers on this subject, and there are sincere believers who totally disagree with us on this, but I think there's confusion in their thinking because I am convinced that these same Christians who send their kids to the government schools, they wouldn't even dream of allowing an apostate homosexual activist from a mainline denomination to teach their child in Sunday school. In fact, they would be appalled at any other Christian sending their child to this, um, you know, this apostate to be taught in Sunday school for even one hour, and yet they will force their children to go seven hours a day, five days a week, to the same teacher in the government schools. And it just does not make any sense. In fact, that teacher is going to be just as committed in the government schools to undermine the worldview that we have been trying to inculcate into our, into our children. So... They won't allow a Sunday school teacher for one hour even to teach their children, but uh, 30 plus hours in the government schools, no problem. And uh, these parents think that devotions uh, once in the evening is going to undo all of the damage that has been inflicted upon the children at school. I think Christians really have got to wake up to the dangers that are going on. In fact, the government schools are nothing like they used to be. But even there, we've got some, um, some questions. And I know that every one of you agrees with me on this, but what I want to do is encourage some of you with biblical material, not only if you're getting discouraged over homeschooling or Christian education, but also to disseminate this information as far and as wide as we can get it disseminated, because I think many of these Christians, if they could see the biblical evidence, they would change. It changed right away. It just has not dawned on them that there are the problems that we're going to be bringing up this morning. And what I desire is that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the children and the hearts of the children would be turned to the fathers so that our nation will not receive the Lord's curse that Malachi 4, verse 6 talks about. And um, I think we're nearing the end of our foundation series and I thought, well, we cannot quit our foundation series without dealing with the subject of education, what our distinctives are on that. Now, there are many objections you don't have in your outline. These are the main ones. Uh, that you're going to see. <coughs> and I want to start with the objection I think makes the most sense to people who are not even committed to government education. Their objection is, what if I'm not a good teacher? And there's a certain degree of plausibility to that objection. We want our children to have the best, don't we? <coughs> and um, <coughs> we'll get to the use of tutors and uh, in certain circumstances Christian uh, schools. But the first thing I want to point out is that parents are inescapably teachers. In other words, you cannot get away from the fact that you are a teacher. Uh, right from birth and on, you are teaching your children, and you're either a good teacher or you're a bad teacher. But if you're a parent, the scriptures indicate uh, you are a teacher. 
<coughs> and when you put it into those terms, then people begin to realize, okay, well, maybe I do need to think about this a little bit more. Maybe I need to get training from the pastor's parenting class on how to begin to do some of the teaching in those, in those uh, early uh, years. And children do need training right from birth. Psalm 58, verse 3 says, They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. And you've probably all witnessed the remarkable phenomenon of newborn babies being able to deceitfully manipulate their parents within a few days, you know, with the kinds of cries that they will give. And <coughs> after a while, you know, and they're beginning to realize this parent picks me up. The moment I cry is at my beck and call begins to realize I am at the center of the universe. And when the parent, you know, maybe fails to pick up the child when the, the, the parent's not treating the child as God, well, all hell breaks loose, and that child lets them know, this is unacceptable behavior, parent. And they've got those parents wrapped around their finger. And so right off the bat, uh, if we are not training children at the time of birth and on, it's going to be more and more difficult to train them with remedial training. That's why 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15 says to Timothy, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now the word for childhood is the Greek word brephos. If you look it up in a dictionary, you'll see it means newborn. Well, actually it can be a little bit broader. It can be newborn through toddler stage, but it never goes beyond, you know, the age of, of three. So how can a newborn know the Holy Scriptures, you know, right from the earliest times? Well, let me give you a, a couple of illustrations of how that can be. Before our children were even able to talk, they had memorized a number of catechisms using sign language, okay? They knew exactly when the prompts and things would come in. Uh, but other ways in which the scriptures are known by our children is they see the whole covenant atmosphere in the home of what's right, what's wrong, what's acceptable behavior, what's not acceptable behavior. They begin to have the scriptures applied in their habits. Uh, in the things that they, uh, that they uh, can do or, or don't do, folding hands perhaps during prayer, when to laugh, when not to laugh. Trust. Did you know that faith can be instilled in children's lives even from their mother's breast? Let me read from David's testimony. He said, You are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. So he was able to trust because he was in a covenant environment where trust was the most natural thing for that child to to know about to experience and there are many scriptures which show various facets of teaching that are done before age three for example hosea 11 3 through 4 says i taught ephraim to walk taking them by the arms i drew them with gentle cords with bands of love and i was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck now that last image there is of a, a yoke that's on young cattle that are being trained how to pull the plow, but they don't work them too long. You know, they take it off and they gradually work these cattle into their tasks. He is saying, this is what I did with these young ones. I was easing them into their work schedule. You know, with our children, as soon as they were able to walk, we immediately had them doing things for us as a part of, of uh you know, their work things. They would bring over a diaper to us, you know, when we're changing a diaper, or they would do this or that. And let me tell you something, it takes a lot longer to have a child, to train a child to do something for you than to just go ahead and do it yourself. But it pays off in the long run, right? Because you're multiplying yourself. And so we just don't think any training whatsoever takes longer than doing it yourself. 
But the point is we want to multiply ourselves uh, over time. Even in the church, there is training that is going on. You might wonder sometimes, you know, as the kids fidget and whatnot, but you'd be amazed at how much goes in to the child's ear and stays there. I have, uh, I have uh, wondered sometimes, you know, if a certain child is really paying attention at all, and then after the service, this child will be interacting with me on the sermon. They didn't look like they were paying attention, but they're learning. They're learning, even in the, in the context of the church. Joel 2 says, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes. Uh, Joshua 8 shows little ones being trained in church. What are they being trained to do? They're being trained to bow their heads in worship and uh, bow their heads in, in prayer. They're being trained to sing. Psalm 8, verse 2, nursing babes, you know. God perfects their praises. He, they need to be perfected sometimes, don't they, because the squalling. But God says, no, that's a delightful sound in my ears. And yes, the children grow, and they learn when to squall and when not to squall, you know. <laughs> uh, but they're being trained. And so let's set to rest once and for all the false notions that parents don't know how to teach. If you are a parent, you have a mandate to teach right from the time of birth and on. And most parents, what happens is maybe they have not been trained how to teach, and I do offer a parenting class that shows you, you know, some of the teaching that goes on from zero through age six. But if they had been trained, you know, they get intimidated at age six because they say, oh, I don't know how to teach first grade. But if they were doing the teaching from birth and on, it would be one of the most natural transitions in the world. They wouldn't think anything about it going into first into uh, first grade <clears throat> so anyway there is informal education from age zero and believe it or not formal training in the bible began at age three not at age six it began at the age of weaning which was usually three let me give you some examples and there's others you could look up that i didn't even put in there like samuel you know where he went to the temple after he was weaned and uh, he was learning but uh, let me read isaiah 28 9 through 10 it says, Whom will he teach knowledge, and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Yeah, it may be repetitive, you know, constantly uh, going over the same principles, line upon line, precept upon precept. But what you're doing is you're building blocks uh, 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 like a foundation in that child's life and he says that education begins when at weaning it begins at age three now it's a very common thing in homeschooling circles to buy into the philosophy of moore and others who say don't teach your children before age nine and there are maybe some things that uh, you want to put off until later but in the bible formal education starts at age three and i think it's important that we that uh, we recognize that in fact there's a great book and see if I can think of the name of it. It's Never Too Young. Is it Nancy Cluggett? Or, well, I forget the name. Is it it's something close to that, but Never Too Young. What a marvelous book that deals with this whole subject. And they have proven this to be the case with literally thousands. I think by now it's literally thousands of children uh, that uh, uh, completely defies the developmental psychology of Piaget and other, uh, other learners. But that's going down a rabbit trail. That was a fantastic school. Uh, a lot of Christian schools I'm not enamored with at all, but that school really understood, I think, the biblical principles, and there are Christian schools around the nation that I think are options for certain parents. Now, I'm not going to cover point C. 
It just gives more verses encouraging us, you know, if we are teachers, and if you're a parent, by definition, you are a teacher, then we need to study. How do I perfect my teaching? How do I improve it and become better? Now, a second objection that you frequently hear is this. But shouldn't a teacher be licensed by the state? And my response would be twofold. Well, first of all, the obvious question is, why? Why in the world would an institution that has proved itself to be utter failure in education want to license homeschoolers who for generations have demonstrated that they have always had results that supersede any public school in the nation, government school in the nation? Why in the world would we want them to uh, license? Ba basically, that would destroy successful homeschooling by introducing failed secular methodologies. But to me, the biblical response is much more important than the practical one, and that is, where does the Bible give the state the right to say anything whatsoever to education? And it's nowhere. Nowhere in the Scripture are they given that permission. God has over and over again commanded the parents to teach their children not just Sunday school lessons, but to teach how the Scripture applies to every area of life. And there are many more scriptures than what I have put in the outline there, but I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 2, and I want us to look at an example of a synagogue school that Paul was not too impressed with. And if you're thinking of sending your children to, to uh, synagogue uh, schools, in other words, church schools, you need to make sure that these schools are buying into God's accreditation rather than man's accreditation. God has accredited parents. He has said, yes, you are able, you need to learn, but you are able to teach. And um, uh, here were some that uh, did not meet up with God's accreditation standards, but they were sure accredited by the Jewish scholars of the time. Romans 2, 19 and following. <clears throat> it says that you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. Now, the word babes there is napion which is the next step up from brephos brephos would be newborn up through age three uh, napion would be age three and following it would be the next uh stage older and actually it can go all the way up to the legal status so any anybody that was under age could be a napion so they're a teacher of babes having a form of knowledge and truth in the law you therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself you who preach that a man should not steal do you steal you who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples, etc., etc. It goes on to show the hypocrisy of their teaching. Okay? Their lifestyle disqualified them from teaching in God's eyes. Now, it is becoming more and more common nowadays to say, it doesn't matter what their lifestyle in private is. All that matters is they know the subject material and they're able to teach in the public school. In fact, in America, public schools, government schools can no longer discriminate. By the way, I keep saying public, but a public school is totally different than a government school. So if I slip up and keep saying public, it's just because of habit. They are not public schools. They are government schools. There's a huge distinction. But anyway, in America, in these government schools, uh, you can no longer discriminate against a homosexual, a Marxist, Leninist, traitor, or any of the other destructive lifestyles. So long as they can teach, there can't be those kinds of discrimination. And it just shows you the anti-Christian bias that's going on in education today. It's even starting to come into Christian schools. I have been appalled at the uh, qualifications sometimes that Christian schools have had. And they seem to be more interested in giving, getting government-certified teachers than they do in getting a quality education frequently. 
And to me, it's just, it, it, it's really sad. There's got two accrediting boards going on here. There's God's accrediting board, and there's man's. And I think we need to make sure the teachers line up with God's. <coughs> okay, the verses listed in your outlines demonstrate, uh, again, God licenses parents as educators. We read one from Deuteronomy 6, but Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 11. There are just tons of scriptures that indicate not only do the parents have the ability to teach the theory, that's teach them when they sit, but also the practice, teach them when they walk by the way. Uh, the whole context that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, the parents and the parents alone are told in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And all of the screaming in the world that the NEA makes concerning lack of credentials and the parents' lack of ability to teach does not change one iota that God expects the parents to teach. Now, there may later be some aspects that we will delegate, but you can never abdicate. Okay? You can delegate teaching, but you're always responsible before the Lord. Now, the third objection is the question, but there isn't any scripture which rules out government education is there. Now, I preached an entire sermon on the regulative principle of government. And that sermon showed how as part of the warp and woof of the whole of Scripture, the families retain to themselves all rights, all privileges, all responsibilities that have not been explicitly given to either state or church by the Scripture. Which means, if you can't find in the Scripture that God has authorized the state to teach, it may not, it may not teach. Otherwise, the state could involve itself in every imaginable kind of, uh, uh, of tyranny. It's the regulative principle of uh, government which uh, flowed out of the Reformation. <coughs> but there's a pile of scriptures that explicitly say, so the regulative principle of, of uh, government rules out governments being involved, but there are scriptures that explicitly say we should not be sending our children to the pagans to teach them. Uh, look with me at Psalm 1. Now, in, in government schools, for the most part, they, you know, I think the majority of the teachers nowadays would be unbelievers, and so I think this applies, at least in our day, generation. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night and then he goes on to show the blessings that come to those who adhere to this principle the cursings that come upon the ungodly who do not adhere to that and this is why job says twice the counsel of the wicked is far from me job 21 16 22 18 jeremiah 10 verse 2 says thus says the lord do not learn the ways of the gentiles well that's all you're doing when you're going to a government school is you're learning the ways of the gentiles colossians 2 8 says beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world he's not talking about idiots he's saying no i'm talking about the wisdom that's out there in the world he says beware of that according to the basic principles of the world and not according to christ so he says Here's two systems of education. One comes according to Christ. It's Christian education. The other is according to the wisdom of man, the traditions of man. That comes from the world. And he says, beware of that one. Pursue after this one. I, to me, it's so uh, straightforward. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the verses in the outline, but let me read you Isaiah 8, verse 20. And let me parenthetically add in here 
that many of us, myself included, have had times in public school. And, you know, sometimes years later you realize that was a humanistic principle that I have been adhering to for so long, and you just recognize from the Scripture how much you have unwittingly brought in. But Isaiah 8, verse 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And so he's saying the touchstone of education is the Bible, and if somebody is speaking in something that is not according to the word of God, there is no light in them. It's the scriptures alone that are truth. The scriptures alone. Other things are theories, okay? And they may be fairly sound. We may be pretty 100% convinced that they're true, but there's only one touchstone, one standard of truth. And that's why Christ was so upset with the lawyers for in their education, they took away the Bible and they substituted Pharisaic traditions. And he says, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. He said the Bible was the key to knowledge. Now think about that. If the Bible is the key to knowledge and the Bible has been cast out of the government schools, why in the world would you send your children to people who don't even have the key to open the door to unlock wisdom and knowledge? Okay, he is saying it's a fundamentally different way of looking at the world. We don't even look at a tree in the same way. You know, they see the tree as something that has evolved, maybe a chance event or uh, something that, that uh, is, is put together by random forces. We see that tree as having been providentially planted there. Yes, he used a human agency or maybe a bird or something else, but it's there to serve God's purposes. It is every molecule is upheld by the word of his power. Uh, it, it has its life from God. We look at it even on the outside in a totally different uh, a way than the, than the pagans would. But there are many other scriptures. Matthew 18, 6 warns us about causing our little ones to stumble. Let me tell you, there's a lot of little ones who have stumbled in government schools. And we as parents are causing them to stumble by sending them there. 1 Corinthians 15.33 warns about the corrupting influence of having unbelievers as the influencers of our children. By this way, this relates to what kind of friends you have play with your homeschooler, uh, your homeschool children. It says, evil company corrupts good habits. So here you have been instilling good habits. It's taken years to make these habits. You send them into evil company, he says, it's going to corrupt those good habits that you've spent so much time in, in developing. And there are many other scriptures which by implication rule out the government schools, especially as they are presently uh, run. But inevitably, somebody will respond to me with something to the effect, well, I counteract the evil that's in, out there. I counteract the sex education. I counteract the evolution that they get in biology. But, you know, most subjects are neutral, aren't they? Uh, you know, I don't see why, they say, why uh, an unbeliever can't teach math and science just as well as a believer can, maybe better than a believer can. But what I want to point out is that nothing in life is neutral. And if you think that math is neutral or it's value-free, you need to read an article by Vern Poitras, it's a biblical critique of math, or read uh, an essay that I have by J.C. Keister uh, on the axioms of mathematics. Actually, I got a whole pile of books and essays showing you teach math from a radically different perspective if you're a Christian, at least you should, not all of us do, do we? But nothing in life is value-free. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you haven't started with the fear of the Lord, you haven't even begun your journey to true knowledge. Colossians tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To unlock knowledge, 
what you need to do is you need to have Christ as being the key, the interpretive key that holds all of these facts together so that you understand the facts that are out there in their relationship to each other, the relationship to God. And it makes sense. If all things were created by Christ and they were created for Christ, then if we teach math or biology or science or any subject without founding it upon Christ, serving Christ with it, and having that discipline praising Christ, we have fundamentally misinterpreted that discipline. It is a fundamental uh, a, a, a failure uh, a, a to interpret reality properly. And again, Christ called the Bible the key to knowledge, Luke eleven fifty two, and he cursed the lawyers for taking away that key. Well, how much more is he going to curse these public, these government schools for taking away the key to knowledge? It's, it's illegal. You know, teachers no longer can, can read from that unless it's purely in the, in the realm of, of, of literature. Jesus made it clear that whatever is not for him is against him. There can be no neutrality. Now, here's what Henry Van Til said. He's got a fantastic book on a Christian social uh, philosophy. It says, any organization that claims to be neutral, as do the public schools and some labor organizations, is by that token denying Christ's claims of absolute lordship over all things. You see the logic there? If Christ claims absolute lordship over everything, and these people say, oh no, there's no lordship of Christ, this is neutral, what are they doing? They're opposed to Christ, right? They're enemies of Christ. So he's saying it's a myth to claim neutrality because Christ claims absolute lordship. So neutrality should be seen for what it is. It's an exclusion of Jesus and his word from the education. Uh, here's another interesting quote. The Earl of Athlone, who was the Governor General of Canada from 1940 through 1946, said, education without religion sooner or later marches to its doom. Almost 100 years later, Dr. A.A. A. Hodge, 100 years ago, I should say, Dr. A.A. A. Hodge of Princeton Seminary wrote, I am as sure as I am of the fact of Christ's reign that a comprehensive and centralized system of national education separated from religion as is now commonly proposed will prove the most appalling engineering for the propagation of anti-Christian and atheistic unbelief and of anti-social nihilistic ethics, social and political, which this sin-rent world has ever seen. Has that been fulfilled? Absolutely. I think he was a far-sighted man. At the time, people thought, well, that's ridiculous. These are mostly Christians who are teaching in here. But he said, no, the very act of trying to make it neutral is by definition going to mean humanism will dominate, not Christianity. Martin Luther stated, I am afraid that the schools will prove to be the very gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the heart of the youth. And so we need to not buy into this myth that somehow education or government can be neutral. It is not. It's either for him or against him. Now, another objection that I frequently hear is, but, but Phil, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all went to public school and they turned out okay. And my response is, yeah, they were kidnapped from their homes, probably never saw their parents again. They still turned out okay, but does that make kidnapping okay? No, not at all. And it doesn't make government education okay either. That the blessing was that the homeschooling that had already been given had been so deeply engraved that it did carry them through. But many other people do get sucked in. In fact, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 because that is a, that is a passage that is so frequently used by people to justify government education. And I think it teaches the exact opposite. It shows 
that there is a perverse tendency of governments to engage in government education precisely to be a tool for Satan. Now, they don't realize it many times, but Satan is using these governments to undermine uh, God's kingdom. <clears throat> and by the way, the parents did not send Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to these government schools, right? They were kind of kidnapped, and, uh, and it was just the mercies of the Lord that took them through. Now, what, what this chapter here shows is that the first thing you see is that there was this desire to minimize godly parental influence uh, through the government schools. And you can see that from Babylon to the present. Dr. Pierce of Harvard University warned 2,000 educators in Colorado that parents teach far too much to their children in the first five years, that we need to get the children into the government schools way earlier, if not from birth, to minimize the influence of teachers. I can give you the full quote if you want. This was the National Education Association. And you know the interesting thing that he didn't like? He didn't like patriotism. There was a whole number of virtues that in America in the past we thought, these are great things to be teaching. But he said that's undermining the internationalist agenda. Uh, it's a fascinating article if you want to look at that. So like Nebuchadnezzar, Pierce wants to minimize the influence. But secondly, the king doesn't want to just minimize he wants to take those children out of the homes as much as possible. Look at verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. He was taking them into custody. Uh, Jehoiakim was 28 years old at this point, and his kids were forcibly removed into the boarding school so that they could be reprogrammed, re-educated in Babylonian thought. And all down through history, tyrannical governments has recognized that this is absolutely imperative. Hitler said, we've got to get the youth younger. Uh, Stalin said that. Mao Zedong said that. There's always been this, this rush to provide cradle-to-grave service. You know, you, you put it in a positive sense. But uh, you have daycare, and that's the, what they're pushing for here in America. Daycare right from the time of birth, and then you go on to uh, lowering the age of education to age three. And uh, uh, they, they want to have the kids right from the start so that they can be reprogrammed and influenced. Now, we recognize that this is a problem in communist countries. You know, we bristle at that. We say, oh, that's terrible what's going on in communist countries. What many Americans fail to realize, this was the plan right from the beginning, the moment government schools were developed. Horace Mann, who was the architect of government schools in the United States in the early 1800s, said this. Society in its collective capacity is a real, not a nominal sponsor and godfather for its children. It's a real father. And he felt that the government, because it had the position of parent, had to educate the children younger and younger. He felt it should be eventually made illegal. But again, it's this, this urge to see the, the, the state as father. Now, it's not just the authority issue that's at stake, but what is taught in the government schools as, as well. Look at verse 4. Babylon is wanting to re-educate them in a totally new world and life view. It says, um, Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand. So they already knew a pile before they even went to this school, who had ability to serve in the king's palace in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Now Deuteronomy 6 says we need to be instructing people from a scriptural foundation in everything that they think 
what Babylon is doing is they're saying the same thing. We want people immersed, not in the Bible. We want people immersed in, in Chaldean language and in Chaldean literature. We want them thinking like we think. So there's a competitor. Now, I think most of you, again, are, are convinced of this, but what many people don't realize when they are homeschooling is they allow the literature of the Chaldeans, as it were, to influence and control their homeschooling. And so we can many times be subject to the per perverse influence there. And how do we do it? Well, we do it through ungodly tutors. And, and Christians say, well, wait a minute, ungodly tutors? I don't have any unbelieving tutor. Say, well, look at the textbooks you have. That is an ungodly tutor. And look at the interactive learning program that you have. That is teaching something that is a world and life view that is totally different. And I could demonstrate this in some of the programs that are out there. There's a lot of politically correct brainwashing that's going on. But let me just deal with one example, and then you can run with that. In fact, I feel bad because I gave somebody this past week uh, Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia. And, and afterwards, I'm thinking, well, the reason I wasn't using it is because I hate the thing. <laughs> Why did I give this thing away? So whoever I gave it to, don't use it. Uh, actually, you can lose, use it and look up some of these examples. But the Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia, most homeschoolers have that. Not only are the articles slanted, some are downright filled with lies. And it's obvious that homosexuals and leftists have had a major part to play in the crafting of this encyclopedia. Uh, the revision of the revisionism of the war between the states uh, is nothing short of dishonest, uh, as is their treatment of the war for independence. Let me read from their article uh, that discusses the perverted uh, Nero. And Nero, anybody who's been through my class on Revelation knows, incredibly just makes you nauseated to see how perverted this wretched man was. But here's what Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia says. He has won the reputation of being a demented and depraved tyrant, the ruler who fiddled while Rome burned, and who instigated the first persecution of Christians. However, Nero's unsavory reputation is almost wholly undeserved. He was certainly not the bloody dictator that Roman and Christian historians have depicted. And they go on to portray him as a very sensitive and misunderstood man. Uh, they even went on to say, quote, In everything he seemed to be pursuing the goal his teacher Seneca thought impossible to remain innocent of all crime, unquote. The author denies that there was a persecution of Christians by Nero, even though, interestingly, several enemies of the state that were contemporaries at that time, they didn't like Christians either. But they said Nero has gone too far. You know, it turns the stomach to see how Nero has treated the Christians. So that's from the enemies right at the time. These guys, they ignore all of that evidence. Historian Miriam Griffin rightly says, commenting on the unanimity of opinion about the Emperor Nero that prevails among ancient authorities, the historian Charles Merivale wrote, with some allowance only for extravagance of coloring, we must accept in the main the verisimilitude of the picture they have left us of this arch tyrant, the last and the most detestable of the Caesarian family. Nero was the first princeps to be declared a public enemy by the Senate. Certainly no serious historian has been tempted to whitewash the tyrant. And yet the homosexual, the sodomite lobby has done exactly that. What's been going on in the literature in the, in the schools now is that everything has been rewritten. And the, the homosexuals are trying to portray every hero of the past as being a homosexual. And if there's any homosexual of the past like Nero, 
that has a terrible reputation, what they're trying to do is paint whitewash the person, make him not look quite so bad. <coughs> um, so we need to ask, what kind of language and literature of the Chaldeans are my children reading? Not just in the government schools, it can be in our homeschooling as well. Anyway, back to Daniel. Um, a fourth strategy in Satan's attack on the family can be seen in Daniel 1, that they are made to be totally dependent upon the government. Verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. With government handouts come government strings, right? Uh, with uh, uh, getting quote-unquote, free education in the government schools, come government strings. The parents cannot attend in the classroom. They cannot uh, control the education. Uh, and there are so many strings that are attached to the other uh, things that make people dependent on government as well. Welfare, health care, food stamps, school loans. I took school loans. I took them for seminary, for crying out loud, and I regret it now, but it's amazing how pervasive the government handouts are so that they can draw people in. And uh, Satan will do his utmost to make independent thinking and actions impossible. Now, further step, to re-socialize the youth and to give them a, a new sense of identity, the king wanted to take away the remembrance of the former times. And there's a number of indications here. First of all, their God-fearing names were replaced with pagan names so that even when they talk to each other, they're going to be thinking in pagan categories. Uh, you can see that in verses 6 through 7. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And I won't give you the definitions, but they're all gods, names of gods that were, that, that were given there. So don't think, again, that pagan government is neutral. It is a war of ideas. It is a war of religious ideas. And unless Satan is stopped, he will do everything he can to keep Christians out of the social, you know, milieu. He wants to keep Christianity privatized. If we can shut it up in the church, he may be satisfied. Now, the power to name is the power to frame, you know, to control. The, if you can frame the argument, you can many times win the argument. And so that's what's going on, not just in terms of, uh, in fact, there's uh, several essays that the NEA has put out showing how to reinterpret or redefine terms so that the national education lobby will be on the winning side. Very fascinating. But this is something we need to, to be on the lookout for, uh, a re-socializing of the, the work and home. By the way, you can see that in, 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 in businesses and in different areas, government agencies. You're not allowed to call them sodomites. You know, uh, you're not allowed to call them fornicators. You know, they're, they're domestic partners or uh, wh wh what's the term that's used for homosexual uh, domicile partners or whatever. But they're redefining language. Anyway, finally, uh, there are going to be tests to make children compromise their principles as Babylon sought to do with Daniel and his three friends. You know, trying to get their... And they passed the test. But boy, you wonder how many Christians, if you read through Daniel, you get the impression most of the Christians there compromised. They just could not bear up to the pressure. The social pressure is enormous in an institution like that. You just think of yourself. Here's 
hundreds of thousands of people all bowing down before this image and you're threatened to be thrown into the fire if you don't bow and you're three sore thumbs you know the only ones there i tell you that the, the, the pressure to to bow the knee would be enormous and if it's strong for adults how much stronger is it going to be for children so it amazes me that christians will look to nebuchadnezzar as a positive example of why government schools are okay i think it's one of the best reasons why we should abolish them anyway a slightly different question comes up from some of those who are fearful of homeschooling and I, I think we need to be sympathetic we need to understand their fears they ask is it okay to send children to christian schools or to hire tutors i just am scared to death of doing this now, i've given a pile of scriptures which give a qualified yes but i want you to notice that the father still is in control of that education it's not the tutor it's not the school Turn with me to Galatians 3 as one example. Okay, Galatians 3, and uh, verses 24 through 25. It says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor now he's using an analogy that was common out there of, of hiring tutors to illustrate the, ch the change from before we were under, under the law and coming to faith but i want you to look at verses chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 now i say that the heir as long as he is a child and the word child there is napion uh it's uh, somebody who is weaned but still under age as long as he is a child does not differ at all from the slave though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father and so he says yeah it's okay to give a person who's the guardian of the education who's a steward of the education let them teach but notice who's still in charge it's the father he's the one who determines which person will be the guardian which one will be the steward and how long they're going to teach you know until the time appointed uh, by uh, the father and uh, by the way indicates that uh, the women probably spend the most time on the education the time consuming facets of that the father still needs to know what's going on he still needs to approve he needs to, it needs to be until the time appointed by the father and so we're not saying that the fathers have to you know spend enormous amounts of time educating but they do still need to be good managers of what is happening okay so there's a qualified yes and i've given some scriptures for that i've given some guidelines to use in hiring tutors or in sending a, a child to a christian school First of all, since a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher, that's a quote of Luke 6, verse 40, it's critical that you know what the character of that teacher is that you're sending your child to because that, ch that teacher is going to have an influence upon your child. To some degree, in some area of life, he is going to become like that teacher if that teacher is effective. So you want to know, do I want my child to be like that teacher? You've got to ask, what is his character like? And you can look at Romans 2, 19 through 24 sometime as to why Paul says, man, I wouldn't want those teachers teaching me because I don't want my children to be like them. And we read that earlier. A second guideline is that since discipline is essential to godly learning, that's Proverbs 22, verse 15, 
Proverbs 29, verse 15, you ought not to send your children away for training unless you can trust that teacher with the paddle or with some form of discipline. Now, some people want the teachers to take their undisciplined children but not be able to deal with any of the lack of discipline, then all of the blame goes on the teacher. That, that's not a biblical approach to it. I think the parent is in the best place to discipline, and if you don't trust that teacher to discipline, then you need to be sitting in on that class and be prepared to discipline should the discipline come. Otherwise, you need to homeschool if you can't find a Christian school where you can trust the person to, to discipline. And I certainly don't know any teachers that I would trust to discipline. The third principle is pretty obvious. You shouldn't be sending your children to a Christian school if they're using pagan textbooks and their education is no different than what you're receiving. Maybe there's a few verses or prayers sprinkled in here and there, but that, that doesn't cut it with God. He wants every subject to be explicitly Christian in its outlook. Uh, I talked to one teacher who wondered, well, what in the world is a Christian world and life view? And as we began talking, this teacher indicated she didn't think there's any difference between what an unbeliever would teach and what a Christian would teach didn't have the foggiest notion very wonderful person you know and don't want to put her down but the point is if you're going to delegate make sure they understand christian philosophy okay make sure that they are able to uh to to do it the third principle can be illustrated in in a number of places jesus says wisdom is justified by its children in other words you can tell what kind of wisdom it is by the fruits that come out of it Read James 3, 1 through 18 sometime. We've got to hurry on, so I'm not going to read it. But that passage indicates that there is a wisdom from below, and there's a wisdom that comes from above, and then it talks about the fruits of each wisdom. That's a scary passage. He's saying if you get an education and you get wisdom that is simply from below, here's the kind of destructive characteristics you're going to see in your child. If you get the wisdom from above, here's the neat things that are going to happen in your child so you, you we need to think through those kinds of uh, issues now let me skip over a couple move on to roman numeral seven this is the objection that some bring up in the question well if you don't send your children to public school you know how are they going to learn to fit into a mass society and you can see the answer in your outlines i don't intend my children to fit in i want my children to conquer this world not to be accommodated to it Scripture explicitly forbids us, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The only thing we're to be conformed to is to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we are supposed to go out and we are supposed to so effectively uh, apply the Scriptures that the world itself is conformed uh, to uh, the, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> <coughs> And so fitting into society is the last thing that we want. We're called to be a separate people. Our standard is different. And uh, I think that should be fairly straightforward in this congregation. Now, I've had at least two people unbelievingly tell me, but won't taking too many children out of the government schools shut them down? And my answer was, amen, let it be, Lord. <laughs> Uh, that's exactly what we want. People have the, the idea that if government schools were not running, then we'd have a bunch of ignoramuses in, in America. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. 
there was better literacy in America before government schools came than after government schools came. It has nothing whatsoever to do with how good education is going to be. In fact, I'm convinced education will be better because even secular people are going to be competing in the private marketplace to be providing the best education. Because there's competition and not a monopoly, the quality of the education is going to go way up. And I believe there's coming a time when government schools will be a thing of the past. Micah 4, verse 2 says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, he's, he's saying eventually, because Christians are so intent of having the word of the Lord coming out of Zion and out into culture, influencing everything that they do, the nations are going to look on. They're going to become jealous and they're going to say, come, let's go to these Christians. Let's learn what the word of God says. And he says, as they begin to imbibe that, you know, all of the, the history of paganism will be a thing of the past. So let's influence our culture. Okay, you've all heard this next one. But shouldn't our children be missionaries in the public schools? And again, if I'm feeling ornery and I haven't fallen into calling it a public school, I'll say, well, they aren't public schools. Uh, they're government schools and try to explain the difference there. But these Christians fail to realize that no soldier enters into a battle until he is prepared for the battle. And what is the preparation for the battle for our children? It's the education. Okay, so we prepare them, then we send them out into the battle. Um, the scripture is very clear. Now, I'm not going to go over every point in your outlines, but the second one should be intuitively obvious. You just don't send your soldiers to the enemies to get trained. It didn't make any sense. Why in the world would we do that? I mean, it would be a disaster if our country sent our, our soldiers to other countries to be trained. Thirdly, the purpose of education is not for the child to teach, but for the child to learn. They're engaging in the fallacy of switching the argument. You've been starting talking about why uh, children should not be learning, and now they, they can't win that argument, so they switch it around and say, well, children should be teaching in the, in the public schools. That's what being a missionary is, isn't it? It's teaching. And it says, that's not the place. That's not the purpose. I'll look, let you look at the rest of the answers to that objection. I think <coughs> uh, people frequently answer their own questions with regard to point number 10, don't even realize it. Point 10 asks, but won't our children miss out on the socialization process? And Kathy has faced this so many times. In fact, one was rather humorous. She was at a grocery store, and this uh, <coughs> lady was just going on and on about how terrible the kids were and how they don't behave, they're mean to each other, they're rude, they're impolite. Uh, and she just couldn't stop saying bad things about the children. And then she happened to ask, how come Kathy's children were here? Kathy says, well, we're homeschooling. And then she gets on Kathy's case going on and on about how poorly socialized these children are going to be. Well, Kathy very calmly says, well, would you rather my children were uh, socialized like all of the bad kids you're describing out there, or would you rather the results that you see in front of you right now? She didn't quite know what to say, but Kathy says, that's one of the reasons why we don't go to public schools. We don't want that socialization that's turning these kids into reprobates. Well, she didn't use the word reprobates, but that's a paraphrase, okay? And uh, so I'm just going to skip over several points. They're fairly self-explanatory. Why don't we go all the way down to the last Roman numeral, subpoint D. Okay, really scooting through quick. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you value what your children will eventually be, don't give up the training of your children to other people. 
Okay? R.J. Rushduni said, For a church or for parents to have no regard for the fact that their children are receiving a godless education is a mark of apostasy. Unquote. Now, that, people might think that's kind of tough. And, you know, there may have been years ago where I thought that that would be kind of tough. But if he is right, then it is no wonder that so many children of, unbeli- of believers apostatize after they go into the public schools. I, government schools. I have seen this over and over again, and it grieves my heart to see Christians who uh, just abandon the faith or imbibe or get in trouble in one way or another, whether it's drugs or fornication or, or one thing or another. There are so many pressures that go on in these schools. Um, J. Gresham Machen said, I can see little consistency in a type of Christian activity which preaches the gospel on the street corners and at the ends of the earth but neglects the children of the covenant by abandoning them to a cold and unbelieving secularism. So we need to ask, where do I want my children to be 30 years from now? What can I do in terms of education to make sure they're pointed in that direction? Train up a child in the way he should go when he is old. He will not depart from it. Let me just deal with one more point. It's subpoint H, which says that homeschooling not only strengthens the family, but in the process it strengthens the whole of society. Now our society may not appreciate that right now uh, because they're just thinking with different categories. But I believe that homeschooling has the potential to do the most lasting good for our culture. Malachi 4 explains why. Malachi 4, 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, I see America is already being cursed. It's cursed with a judgment. Society is disintegrating. Statistics show that um, marriages that last are a thing of the past. You know, most children don't even know who their fathers are or their fathers are absent. It's disintegrated. And we need to make sure that as Christians, we don't add to the problem through distance. Now, it's my hope that uh, this sermon and this this outline can maybe be disseminated so that we can encourage the hearts of the fathers to return to the children and the children to the fathers so that God will bless our society rather than cursing it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, uh, even, Father, when it steps on our toes and it makes us un- feel uncomfortable. And Father, uh, I feel uncomfortable as I look to your word and I realize that uh, even the things that I have striven to do have not fully conformed to your word. And I uh, put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, the areas in which I have been a failure. But I pray, Father, that we as a congregation would be a, a testimony, such a a solid testimony to the world of what this culture could look like, uh, that we would be a Christian counterculture that would be a standard that the world could repair to, that they could say, yes, that's what we want. Father, help us to be light. Help us to be salt. Help us not to conform to the world, but to transform uh, this world through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. It's our desire to be faithful in serving you. And I pray for your blessing upon these parents. Take away discouragement. Enable them, Father, if they need help and training, uh, to have the humility to seek help for training. And I pray that uh, uh, each one of these families would find the joy and the incredible support uh, that comes as they uh, seek to prepare their uh, arrows to be shot out into the world to take their mark of dominion. We pray in Christ's name.
Amen.